0: this month's episode is dedicated to the graduate student at unc chapel hill who died by suicide in the beginning of september our hearts go out to you and your loved ones welcome
1: back to debunked i'm libby and i'm valerie and this month we are going to be focusing on suicide prevention so i'm going to go ahead and put a trigger warning right now we are going to be talking about some pretty tough topics in this episode Um, focusing on suicide prevention, as Suicide Prevention Month was September. And we're also going to be talking about World Mental Health Day, sponsored by the World Health Organization. And this year's theme is making mental health and well-being for all a global priority.
0: So, in planning this episode, we knew that it was something really important to both of us to discuss suicide prevention, considering... We have personally dealt with depression, Libby, a little more seriously than I. However, we also have both served with others in our community to put on educational events like the Suicide Prevention Walk we did earlier this year with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And in preparation for this episode, we were and still are extremely nervous because like Libby said very it's a very nervous. heavy topic
1: very nervous
0: yeah it's it's difficult to know what the right things to say are and i think that's also why it's difficult for some people to talk to those who are struggling with suicidal ideation and actions because The way we phrase things really... It matters. It does matter a lot. And it impacts how people perceive you and your relationships. It's it's really fascinating. And I feel like as I've done work with mental health in the past, something that I've become much more cognizant about is how to address suicide prevention. Mm Mm-hmm. So, in order to kind of ease into our conversation today, I'm going to start off by reading, I found this chart that kind of summarizes better ways to discuss suicide to be more sensitive to the people, um, the people around you who are struggling. So... What this kind of looks like, I'm going to read in these sentences of instead of this, say this. And kind of explain why that's important. And Libby and I are going to bounce back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so to begin with, I feel like growing up, I heard a lot of people say committed suicide. Right. Until actually very recently. Me
1: too, yeah.
0: And instead of saying committed suicide... It's important to say, died by suicide, death by suicide, or an individual lost their life to suicide, because the word commit is implying, it's kind of criminalizing suicide, which is not what anyone wants Mm -mm. to do, and it reinforces that stigma around it that you're very selfish for doing it. This is a crime. This is a sin. Um, by saying died by suicide, you're taking away that shameful bit of it and instead being more sensitive about it. So it's important to say things like died by suicide
1: for sure. And as we move down our list, another pretty popular, um, phrase that people use when talking about suicide is someone, them talking about someone that successfully or unsuccessfully, um, died by suicide or completed or failed suicide. And again, like Val said earlier, this language is outdated and it, again, it's not very sensitive to the person and it also doesn't separate the person from suicide. It just identifies them with the suicide which is not who they were, it's not who they are, and it's not how their legacy should live on. So instead of saying that you could say died by suicide, survived a suicide attempt, lived through a suicide attempt, had fatal suicide behavior, non-fatal suicide behavior, um, had a fatal suicide attempt, or a non-fatal suicide attempt.
0: And the importance with that is It definitely, by not saying successfully, it will help take away that it's something positive, which it absolutely is not. And the word successful definitely makes you think of achievement or a goal being reached and you don't want to frame suicide in that kind of light. All right. One, I guess, well, we could, we could leave you all with this. Mm-hmm. The last one that is most prominent in the language I've heard my peers talk about it and also generations before us is kind of more uh, widespread instead of just pertaining to suicide. So this encompasses many other uh, mental health disorders. But the terms such as he's suicidal... They are schizophrenic. She's bipolar. They are mentally ill. It's important to use phrases such as he is facing or thinking of suicide. He is experiencing suicidal thoughts. They have schizophrenia or are living with schizophrenia. These are people with mental illness. These are people addicted to insert substance and by using people first language it's respecting the individual going through whatever they're going through and also reinforces the idea that their condition does not define them and to lighten the mood a little bit for one second <laughs> um, I I This kind of ties in with World Mental Health Day, but when I was a senior in high school, a couple local news stations came and interviewed me about Not I, But We, and my efforts with the Hillsborough County School District Student Services Team. And we compiled hours and hours of interview footage and visuals (laughs) and all this stuff, and One of the videos from one of the channels recently came back up earlier this year in my friend group from college who obviously did not know me in high school. They were watching it and the beginning of the video went, this is senior Valerie Musica, she's been dealing with anxiety for years. And this was my introduction. That's horrible. So. That's awful. It is. Okay, I'm laughing, but it's horrible. You know? I have to to say, it is funny. And specific members of my friend group think it's extremely (laughs) funny and bring it up all the time. Um, But I, I find it funny too, and I could laugh about it. But, yes, it's in the right step that's talking about... Here's Valerie dealing with anxiety. But again, your your mental health disorder or your situation, it's not what defines you. No. So I just I wanted to throw that little story in there because I thought it brought a little bit of humor to it. But um, obviously not all people are going to find those situations as lighthearted or funny. So it's important to be cognizant and really think about the language you're using. And if you ever have questions, you could absolutely reach out to us. Obviously, full disclosure, we're not clinicians. We're not professionals at this, but we are college students trying to change the language, destigmatize debunk Debunk. mental health and all the factors related to it. So moving into our next segment, I'm going to pass it off to Libby um, to further our efforts in destigmatization by sharing her personal story with depression and suicidal ideation, what that looked like in her life and kind of the resources she could have used if they were there, what resources did not work for her, and ultimately what resources did work for her and why she is able to sit here today with me, which I'm so blessed and grateful for because, like I said, oh my god, I'm getting checked up. No, it's okay, it's okay, because I'm going to start crying. It's okay, it's okay. Um... Gosh, I'm just going to let you take it okay, away. Yeah. I, have, I just can't Killers. say anything yes. else right now.
1: Okay, that's okay. All right. Hi, guys. Um, I am going to share my story today, but before I do, I also want to preface and say that my story is my own, but it's also the story of many people who have been failed by the current system because the resources and funding and knowledge um, about how to talk to people with mental illness, how to, you know, just what to do is just really underfunded and it's lacking. And I think that's, not even I think, that's why we're doing what we're doing. And that's why I'm choosing to share my story today. Um, But yeah, I think that it's just important. So as we kind of move into it, I, as I mentioned in the last episode, I um, really struggled moving into college Um, my parents had moved from Denver, Colorado to Columbus, Ohio, and I had moved from Columbus to Chapel Hill in the span of about a month, which is kind of a lot. Um, and coming off of, not even coming off of, we were still in the pandemic at this point. Um, pandemic was still a big issue and that had really taken a toll on my mental health and it kind of, that mental health and that depression and anxiety had followed me all the way through um, to our moves and I was really hoping that college was going to be it, like I was going to have the perfect experience and as a lifelong per- like perfectionist and like, you know, I want everything to be in its place and I'm a planner. Um, it was just really devastating when that wasn't the case and I was faced with challenges that I really hadn't, ever, I've never faced before and I didn't really know what to do. Um, So anyway, I moved into college, um, and I know nerves are normal in college. Everyone's gonna have nerves. Like moving into college, that's a big, that's a big thing. Me, it is scary.
0: It's so scary, especially as an out-of-state student. I know. I mean, there's not to undermine what an in-state student goes through, but it's just a different set of experiences. It is. It is. And one of those, at least for me, not being able to. Drive a couple hours home to see my mom and dad. Yeah. that That's part of it. Yeah. But, but continue.
1: Yeah. I also miss my dog, like, so much. But anyway. Oh. <laughs> I bet. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, I think it was about the fourth day after I had moved in. It was convocation, um, which, if you don't know what that is, no worries. It's basically where the whole, your whole freshman class will get together in, like, a stadium or a basketball arena or whatever, and, like, the... Chancellor and important people um, <laughs> basically will talk to you about the next four years of your life and how it's going to be transformed and you're gonna have all these amazing experiences and I just remember sitting there in Keenan Stadium and it was like pouring
0: <laughs> it was pouring. It, it was
1: pouring and it really set the mood because I remember our Chancellor, was like, okay, like, I'll see you guys in four years of graduation, and my immediate thought was, I'm not going to make it to graduation. Are you serious? Yeah. That was, like, it was terrifying. I think oh that's when I really goodness. realized, like, oh, my goodness, like, something is really wrong with me. And so the next day I went to our counseling and psychological services um, because I was, like, I'm having suicidal ideations, I'm super depressed, I'm super anxious, and, like, it's just making it really hard for me to function every day. And, um so I went to them they (laughs) I met with a psychologist and we had a couple of appointments after that and while helpful they did refer me to refer me to my therapist that I have now who I absolutely adore I love her Um, she's been amazing through this whole process Um, and my psychiatrist I love my psychiatrist as well Um, it just felt like they don't have the resources to do enough and At UNC, CAPS is not, I think, well-liked because people have not really had, not everyone, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but a lot of people just haven't had positive experiences. I want to say, with the resources that they do offer, I felt like I was helped, but I also feel like I hit a roadblock, and even though I was utilizing all the resources possible, I still was feeling extremely depressed and extremely anxious and just was just constantly in pain. And so while my experiences wasn't all negative with CAPS, they just, there's not the funding, there's not the awareness, and that's just not there. And it really it really needs to be there. It really, really should be, and that should be a priority made by the university. um, And I fully believe that. Um, But anyway, moving on. So the first, I was in my first dorm for two months until I finally moved. Um, But for those two months was, literal hell on earth for me and my myself. I, every day I would wake up and I would go to the bathroom and I would think I wanted to die. Like, I just, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep living like this. And my brain was so in a panic. It, it wasn't necessarily I want to die. It was, I want the pain to end because I just felt just crushing weight of, like, pain and all these things every single day, and it just got old, and, like, my survival instincts took over, and, like, for those of you who have been in survival mode before, like, it's just, it's exhausting. It's, like, it takes everything out of you just to survive, so, like, being a college student was just, like, oh my goodness. Um, but anyway, I had appointments um, with the Dean of Students office. I had appointments with, I don't even know other people, my... Housing, like I think it's our community director, Mm -hmm. um, meetings with her, someone even knocked on my door once to make sure I was doing okay. And while that all sounds great, none of this was communicated to me in the sense of no one was like, hey, are you okay, how can I help you? It was just like, hey, I'm gonna knock on your door and make sure you're still alive. And that was Mm -hmm. something that I think that I can take away from that experience is just the lack of communication just made it a lot worse. Um, So basically all of that kind of led up to um, a weekend in October um, where a couple students in Valenai's class died by suicide and it was extremely, extremely devastating to the whole community, um, UNC community, Chapel Hill community, the Triangle community. Um, and it made national news. I had people reaching out to me across the country about it. Um, I remember I reached out to my high school friend group about it just because I just felt like I needed to say something. Um, but that night on October 10th, um, I was really struggling and I called my parents and I told them what happened. Um, and they were concerned, obviously. Um, and... My roommate and my sweetmates were also concerned about me just because they they knew a lot of what was going on and they acted with the best of their attentions. Um, And so for that, I am grateful. It's just what happens next that was really unfortunate by people that should know what they were doing and should have had the crisis training and didn't. And that's something that is really frustrating. Um, As an adult working in this profession, you don't... It's just some things that you say, basically. Um, So I got a knock on my door um, loud knock, I would say, um,
0: by two police officers, now and- Quick clarification. Yes. Was there something that caused the police officers to show up? There was, so yes. So can you speak on that if you're comfortable?
1: I can speak a little bit on that. I'm not gonna say specifics, no. um, just cause- Absolutely. Um, but I, basically, I just kind of told my roommates some things that had made them concerned, um, which looking back is true, However, I stand by the fact that I did it to pro- as a proactive measure, but I also don't, no judgment, no blame on them. Mm-hmm. Um, they were doing what they thought was best, and I really, I really am grateful for that at the end of the day. Um, but anyway, so two police officers and um, someone from housing knocked on my door. Um, I start bawling, because, like, when people, when police officers come to your door, especially, like, two like, adult men, I was, like, oh, my gosh, like, <laughs> crazy. It's, it's, it's like, I can only imagine. It's so overwhelming. And so, they knocked on my door, uh, basically asked me to voluntarily commit myself to the hospital, um, packed a bag, all while crying, I walked down the stairs, I just remember walking down the stairs of my dorm and just feeling humiliated because I'm walking with police officers, like, Mm. people can see me, like, it was just, it was humiliating. I sit in the back of a police car, like. Did they handcuff you? No. Okay. They did not, but that was also, like, in the register, it was a volunteer commitment, so if it wasn't, I don't, it could have, they could have handcuffed me, I think. Wow. Yeah. So, I went to the hospital, I was there for about a good hour and a half in a white room, um, I got the grippy socks and everything, so that's a thing. Grippy, <laughs> grippy socks are a thing. Oh, wow. Uh, and also, side note, I do cope with things using dark humor. My friends will attest to this. Um, but I think a lot of people th- do. It's people just, use it's just, humor. It, it, use it to cope. I always have. Oh, wow. I always will. My mom could attest to this. I say stuff all the time. Yep. <laughs> She's just like, Libby. Me... <laughs> but anyway... So, I'm sitting in this white room with a hospital gown and grippy socks, and I have a bunch of people come in and just ask what happened, and so I told them, you know, exactly what I've been telling you guys with just a few more details. (laughs) Of course. And basically, they came back and said, look, if you feel like you want to, like, if you feel like you cannot protect yourself, like, we have a room upstairs for you, but we also feel like if you're going to be safe in your dorm, you should go there. But I also, and here's the thing that really, really got me, is that they're like, we don't have a psychiatrist on call. And I was like, are you kidding me? There have been three deaths by suicides in three days, and you don't have a psychiatrist on call. It was just so, it was so maddening and so just like disheartening at the time, because all these people, well, you know, nice enough, we're not psychiatrists, and we're not psychologists, and didn't have the crisis training that was needed to handle someone like me, who's someone who is in crisis. So, I eventually, I got released, I walked back to my dorm at 11pm, and the housing person is outside, and she basically pulls me aside and just says, hey, why are you here? You should be in the hospital, like, you lied to the doctors, you lied (sighs) to these people, like, what are you doing? If you try to run, I'm gonna have you involuntarily committed. Um, This is super overwhelming for everyone, we don't know what to do with you. And so... If you guys are wondering what to say to a person in crises, or what if you're not wondering what not to say, please don't say that. (laughs) I just felt it makes someone feel, um, just like an overwhelming sense of guilt and feeling a burden, which they probably already feel if you are struggling with mental health. Like, a lot of people feel like a burden, um, just because they're like, why am I feeling like this? Like, I am just causing, oh, there's so much pain, um, and so, anyway, um, that happened and that was really hard, and then eventually... I released, I was on medication, um, Prozac or Fluoxetine, if you know what that is. Um, but, anyway, so I released my medication to police custody, picked it up the next day, um, and the next day my parents came, um, and just talked, and they were there for a week and a half, and in the days that followed, I felt like a shell of a person. I felt embarrassed, I was scared to go to class because I was worried I was going to see people and they were going to know. I didn't want to go to my sorority house because I was scared the girls there knew, even though, you know, they didn't <laughs> and there wasn't really a fear there. I just, I was terrified. Um, and I eventually had a meeting with the lady the dean of students um, to talk about if I was going to stay on campus or not or leave for the semester. Um, and she said what I did was not fair to other people. Um, which, that was the lowest, that was definitely the lowest, that, hearing that, like, what I was trying to do to try to protect myself, and try to, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't with, like, valentine, you know, like, so... Of course not. That was, that was the lowest, I was about ready to just drop it all, because she was like, we're recommending you withdraw, like, take some time, go home, and mind you, this lady while she was a nice person, you could tell there was no crisis training. There was no mental health training. It was just like, okay, you're causing a bunch of issues. So we want you out of like from the university basically. And that's how that made me feel. Um, so I took a lot of time to do, to talk about it with my parents. I ultimately came to the decision that I'm staying on campus. I'm going to move dorms. I'm going to basically have a new start. Um, and that's what I ended up doing. Um, I will say after that, Everything kind of fell into place. I started to do better. Um, I kind of just learned a lot about myself and really pursued things that made me happy, um, like my love of the outdoors. Um, I found my outing club, which I absolutely oh I love it so much. Um, You're I, headed there
0: after this. Month, I am. Know. I do have yeah. a meeting. <laughs> I have a I meeting.
1: Love it. Um, so I just it it took a lot of work, and I think that I'm still still processing that and I'm still working through that every single day just because it was a lot that happened and just I still feel guilt and shame from it. But I also, like, I learned a lot about myself and I learned about what I want for others in the future and that shouldn't have happened. So leading to that, what I was grateful for was that I did have a therapist, I did have a psychiatrist, and they were very, and they are very helpful people. And I strongly encourage anyone if you are struggling talk to a professional I know mm-hmm. it's really hard to make that first step um, but you can have a family member go with you or just kind of bring someone to support you because it really helped me and it's a great resource for you um, I'm a strong believer in therapy Same. Um, and I think resources that I wished would have happened that night was just most of all communication and communication to me about hey like this is what's happening, and we, you know, what do you want to do while also taking, you know, if I needed something else that I didn't want, also taking that into account. I think, like, sensitive and mindful communication. Sensitive, that's perfect. That is such a good way to, that's such a good way to talk about that. (laughs) I completely agree. I just think that it could have been better said, um, not, not could have, it should have been better said, especially by people in those positions, especially with what happened on campus, and, I understand that they were on high alert, I completely understand that, what had happened was devastating, Um, but also, you know, it scares me to think of other students that have had those experiences, um, because they shouldn't have to, they should have, they should be like, you know, they should be not made to feel just shame, and not not made to want to leave because they feel like they have just caused... they're, like, they're, they're a bomb that just went off. Like,
0: that's... Like, you're embarrassed to show your face. I was embarrassed
1: to show my face yeah. for, I mean, months after. It, yeah, months after. Um, but I stayed, and I'm glad I did. But, um... And I think also, just, like, kind of... After sharing this, it kind of just begs to differ, like... Where do we go now? What can we do to, like, make you and see a better place?
0: So, before we move into current resources that are available and out there um, that we both have deemed useful and reliable. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to ask Libby a couple more questions. Sure. Just Yeah, for I'll sure. I'll ask you a couple more questions. Okay. So, okay, cool. Or comment on a few things. Okay. So, one, what the thing that stood out the most, so for the record, everyone listening, I've heard this story several times in my time knowing Libby yet this was definitely the most in-depth I feel like we've ever discussed it. Yeah. Um and I think the thing that stood the most or stood out the most to me was when you said you felt like a shell of a person. Yeah. Because until I would have never understood what that meant until I went through a stint of depression this past January. Yeah. And to literally feel nothing. Yeah. Because some people describe it as feeling numb, which maybe is what they feel. Mhm. But the only way I can describe it for myself at least, yeah, I felt nothing. Yeah. It wasn't even like I was upset. Right. I was just there.
1: Yeah, and I think that's like a your brain's way. Like I still have really bad brain fog, if you know what that is. Just yes. Yes. Ugh, it just, it's so oh, it just—it's so frustrating. It's so no. frustrating. And there's not enough research done on that. Like I tried to look it up one time. And there was like brain fog. No
0: one believes it's real. I was like, I it's swear. a real thing. I'm I not just kidding. Actually, this is one thing I <laughs> wanted to bring up. Um, funny you bring up brain fog because I recently took an exam for a class that I don't need to address names of. We're you know we're very. Big on confidentiality here. Yeah. (laughs) So I took an exam recently and did not do as good as I should have to say the least. Happens. And I knew that it didn't reflect how much I actually knew about the subject and my ability to answer those questions. I realized that my testing anxiety has become so deeply rooted that while I'm taking exams of high caliber that just peers put pressure on or whatever the case may be, I, like, my brain just shuts off. Yeah. And everything is jumbled and I'm not looking at, like, one thing at a time. It's just an overwhelming mess. And... That's, um, that's something that's not talked about a lot. No. And also from trauma, brain fog from trauma. So, like, I think that pertains more to what you were speaking on. That's exactly, yeah. You block out certain parts of what you've been through. You do. Because another thing you mentioned was survival mode. Oh, my gosh. Survival mode? It's, It's scary. It's terrifying. Oh, it's so
1: terrifying.
0: It is... Yeah,
1: that's it's terrifying. It's,
0: it's a very it scary is. place to be. And yes. um, my heart goes out to anyone who has experienced any of the aforementioned conditions <laughs> and feelings because yeah. it's, it's really tough. And I think, too, as we get into resources now, one thing to consider is that oftentimes people who are in that state of being a shell. I don't believe are actively seeking out resources. Yeah. I would say the majority of people in that state are only going to be receiving help if kind of someone puts it right in front of their face and like forces them to right. almost. It sounds harsh, but there's and I, I've, I've thought about this so many times, and like ways to put this, but it really begs the question where you know, how how can you expect someone to reach out for resources but also we can't constantly be shoving resources at people and make them yeah. think that they need that help.
1: Right. It's just a very good point. I don't know.
0: There's just if there's a really there's a fine line between the two and I haven't figured it out. I don't think anyone's figured it out and I recently had a conversation with Dr. Amy Johnson, the vice chancellor of student affairs. And one of the things that she brought up was that sometimes, yes, you can say that resources aren't publicized enough. But part of it, too, is the resources are out there. We can't physically publicize everything all the time at some point the student has to have some buy-in and do some research on it. Right. Which I completely, after being in a similar situation and experiencing similar things, you're not actively looking for those resources. But maybe if you're listening today, something in what we're about to say hits home or maybe motivates you to look more into these resources because although there were things that failed you, parts of the system that did fail you, I think you were able to connect with resources that obviously have brought you to a significantly better overall state. for sure. So, to begin with. One piece of really big news, um, Libby's going to touch on yeah. because I read about this. We got this little newsletter called From the Well, and I read the headline and I was like, I have to read more. I sent it to Libby right away, and she literally said it brought her tears of joy. Um, so this is this is a new resource that'll be starting soon at UNC and. Take it away, Libby.
1: Yeah, so I Val texted me last week about this, and I was babysitting, <laughs> and I literally almost started crying. Like the kids I was babysitting, I was like, "What was what's wrong?" And I was like, "Nothing." Go back to playing basketball. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, um, this article um, states how Starling gift of twenty five million dollars to establish U N C Suicide Prevention Institute is the title, um, and. William and Dana Starling have made a $25 million um, commitment to UNC um, to start this uh, Suicide Prevention Institute. It's revolutionary. I Mm -hmm. mean, I haven't heard of another one on a different campus. Me neither. There may be one, but either way, it is completely revolutionary. It is so, so important, and I am just so excited that we are going to have this and I would really love to be able to talk to them um, about it.
0: Absolutely. Um, but I think what's really cool is the article also breaks down. Honestly, we could, we could link the article. Yeah. We'll link the article. We'll link the article, we'll link the article, so, the article. so you can read more, but, yeah. um, we also want to highlight, there are three main components of what the Institute will do. And this includes causation and neurobiology which is focused on longer-term research and development of intentions behind what they'll do. Secondarily, implementation of clinical prevention. And lastly, outreach, community engagement, and dissemination. This is going to be monumental. For sure. It really is. And as it starts to be implemented, I'm really hopeful... To see what kind of change it can make. Yes. Um, because they're definitely looking at short-term, long-term effects and getting the word out there to the community.
1: I think that's so important, too, is because they're focusing on not just one area. They're focusing on all areas. Like yes. Like, kind of focusing on a person who is struggling with mental illness. Um, the families that are supporting that person, the communities that they live in, um, will also doing research and, you know, trying to figure out how we can better help people with mental illness, which is so, so important. Um, And I think that's, I think it's great that it's adding to the UNC community because I just, I kind of remember last year too as well, kind of going back to last year, just how much the student community rallied um, together was just inspiring. Um, Messages of hope and, you know, chalk all over the place and just really coming together for this and I think the student body did an amazing job and I know I would like to see administration do more in the future which they already have um, implemented some things but I know we have a long way to go but I think this Suicide Prevention Institute is such a huge thing that could do that has potential and will do such amazing things
0: so in starting to talk about the resources that we have not only on campus but also statewide and nationwide First, I'm going to touch on CAPS. So as Libby talked about, it is Counseling and Psychological Services. And most college campuses have this. It might be named a little bit differently at some schools, but the general theme is the same. And recently, I met with the chancellor, Dr. Guskowitz, and one topic he brought up was about CAPS and some of the positive changes that have been made within the last year since those tragic events last fall. And one of those areas that I really wanted to touch on was the increase in diversity within the backgrounds of the therapists, which I have recently found out um, has been a huge area they've worked on. And they have brought on more therapists, counselors, et cetera, of color, which... That's amazing. I know we go to a predominantly white institution. Mm -hmm. And speaking to some of my friends who are in the minorities on campus, that's kind of been brought to my attention more. Mm -hmm. So hearing this about CAPS made me very happy. Also CAPS gets a really bad rep on this campus and I think it's very easy to fall along with the masses and pick up on their trains of thought Mm -hmm. and one thing that I really want to do this year and now that I'm putting this in the recording this will (laughs) hold me accountable but I want to go and speak to a couple of the pe, peop- speak to a couple of the people at CAPS who are running CAPS and talk about more in depth what they do from their perspective right. because I personally haven't gone.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. I do go to therapy, but I haven't tried on-campus resources in that. Mm-hmm. So that's CAPS. Give it a try. I think it's a good first step because insurance can be a problem oftentimes too. And that's, that's something I could get on my soapbox and talk forever about, but I would say, give it a shot, make your own decision about it. Because I think Libby mentioned this way at the beginning of the episode, but that story that she just told is her own experience. The things she went through might mirror things going on in your life. But everyone's story and everyone's experience with mental health is their own. Mm-hmm. So what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another or another. And the list goes on. Right. All right. Your turn. Okay. Um, now I'm just going to
1: talk about the Orange County Rape Crisis Center. Um, it is a great resource that is uh, to all my UNC students and people from North Carolina, it is right off of Franklin. It's on East Franklin, um, and it is a great resource, um, for people that have been sexually assaulted, um, trigger warning (laughs) for this, but, um, it's a great resource. They have, um, counselors available. They have a 24-hour hotline, um, and they just also have resources if, you have been assaulted but it isn't recent, they can kind of help you with next steps um, if you are going to pursue charges or just recovering from this and how to move forward. Um, And they provide a really great support system to those victims.
0: Next, I'm going to touch on the national hotline for suicide. And that was recently changed to the number 988 which is much easier to remember yes. such as 911 for physical emergencies. And this was a huge step for our nation because I'm going to be honest, I can't even tell you what the old number was. I don't know. What the I old never knew is. it. I have no idea. And I've been doing work with this for eh, 5 6 years now. A while, yeah. And I never knew it by heart. And I think I've mentioned this before, but if I, someone who is in this field, who is interested in this and actively reading about it almost every day, if I still don't know that, how can I expect someone in crisis who could use those resources to remember the number? So 988, that's the magic number. I'm so, so glad that it kind of transitioned to a number that's easier to remember because, again, with promoting how 50-50 and equal physical and mental wellness are and how they truly need to be looked at that way because they go hand in hand and support one another, it's important to have that equality. Um, I think there has been some frustration around 988 from when it launched. I think some people have some misconceptions about what 988 can do. And I encourage you all to dig deeper into it for sake of time. What I will say is that they serve as a place to call. If you are in immediate life-threatening circumstances, they are going to work as best they can to connect you to where you need to go. Similar to a mental health first aid responder, a crisis intervention responder. Um, they don't have all the answers. And I think some people are like, oh, 988, I'm going to call there and they're going to solve all my problems. Right. Not necessarily. Yeah. However, it's one more resource that you can utilize, especially if something's going on, I almost want to say in like non-business hours, because it's really important to have that, you know, there's, there's so much life that is lived in non-business hours (laughs) that it's very important to have resources that are constantly available for emergency response. So Mm -hmm. that's a little bit on 988.
1: Um, And another great resource, especially for members of the LGBTQ plus community, is the Trevor Project. Um, They are a national organization that also has a hotline that you can call 24 hours. Um, They provide people with um, resources ranging from counselors, referrals, um, referrals to psychiatry, um, group therapy, and... There's so many more resources that I'm not even thinking of, um, but they are just such a great resource, um, especially for, that's targeting the LGBTQ community, which um, has suicide rates that is much higher than the rest of the population, Um, so they do amazing work, so.
0: And we were texting about this a couple weeks ago, but I read an article That had a map of the globe and suicide rates. And the United States was at Mm 16.7%. And this is an updated rate as of 2022. And one thing within that is that men's suicide rates were 25, I believe the statistic was. Which is much higher than in comparison to women and i bring this up because between males age 18 to 24 members of the lgbtq plus community anyone from a minority background i think all these groups of people are inherently at a disadvantage a lot of the times because of social stigma and kind of tradition within their culture, because I've learned a lot, especially about some of my friends who identify with Hispanic cultural backgrounds. They've said that their grandparents do not believe in mental health. They think it's a BS excuse and that, you know, oh you have anxiety well fix it mm-hmm. I think and that's not I'm not trying to stereotype anything this is speaking off of experience with my friends who have gone through these things but I think we've tried to highlight not only resources for the general population mm-hmm. but also exemplified to you all that if you identify with a more specific group of people, or a more specific community, and would rather engage in conversations with others who share those backgrounds, um, those resources are available to you too. And lastly, I want to just touch on the Heels Care Network for UNC students. That is a great resource to kind of see how it all ties together like it says in the name it's a network it's truly the hub for wellness and that's not only mental wellness that is physical wellness too because they have information about campus health um, student rec etc and i think any unc student listening to this i highly encourage that take five minutes out of your day and explore the Heels Care Network. That's that's all I'm gonna say about that. Yeah. I think it's important. Look it up online and explore it a little. Give us some feedback. Is there anything we can bring to I guess like the higher ups, their yeah. <laughs> attention of like what's working for students, what's not? But I really, I really, really encourage you all to look into it because there are so many things out there that we don't even know exist. And part of that is because we're not looking. Mm-hmm. And I was pleasantly surprised when I looked into this more when I met with Dr. Johnson. And yeah, I think it can also provide you with some perspective on some basic everyday changes you can make in your life to make those tougher times a little more feasible, Um, and at the end of the day, any small change could be the difference between life and death, Mm -hmm. to put it very blatantly. Um, So yeah, looking forward, like we said, World Mental Health Day is coming up on October 10th. We will be sharing a lot on our Instagram as that comes up really highlighting what some of the organizations were part of like MHA and active minds, what we're going to do in the month of October, but also what we do as a whole and highlighting some of these resources that we spoke about today so that you all can dive deeper into it um, and explore that for yourselves.
1: Yeah. But just as a reminder um, from Val and I, you are loved. You have so much purpose in this world um, we are here to support you. You have people that support you. Um, and it's okay to struggle with your mental health because a lot of us do and that's okay. And it is, there are resources out there for you. So. And
0: that's what makes us human. Yep. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in today. We look forward to having you all back next month where we're going to be highlighting my personal favorite topic of passion. All right. All right. Thank See you, guys you so much. See you all then.